Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You so much for the privilege that it is to be called to preach Your Word. The privilege that it is to spend the time studying and dividing and, 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 and digging into Your Word to learn what You would have to say to us. Lord, I pray that You would use the feeble work of Your servant even that I can do only if you carry me. I pray, Father, that you would carry me now in the pulpit and that you would take glory for yourself in the preaching of your word, that you would use it in our lives, that we would grow by it, that we would learn more of who we are, more of who you are. Lord, that we would be more and more conformed to the image of your Son through it. Father, I ask you for revival. I ask you for your Holy Spirit in greater measure upon us. I thank you that Jesus said that we fathers being evil, if we know how to give good gifts to our children when they ask, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit. Pour out your Spirit upon us. Oh, that we would live for you, that we would love you, that you would be the object of our focus, of our time, of our treasure, of our talent, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in our lives, that, that, that we would delight to worship you and that everything we do would be an act of worship to you. Amen. We're in Luke's Gospel, right where we left off. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. This is a pretty sad um, picture that we're getting here in these few verses from 18 to 23 that we'll be focusing on this morning. As we see John the Baptist sitting in a prison cell, struggling with doubt, we read these words. The disciples of John reported these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he said to them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The last time we were together, we saw Jesus going with a large crowd to this town of Nain. And when he gets there, he heals this or he raises from the dead this widow's son 
Before that, we saw him healing the centurion's servant. And he does this from afar. He doesn't even see or meet the servant. He heals him with but a word. And we're told at the conclusion of these things that the people who, who, who had seen and witnessed what Jesus did, especially the healing or the, the raising of the dead of this boy, that they glorified God saying, a prophet has risen among us. And God has visited His people. And His word began to spread about Jesus concerning His miracles. It reaches John's ears. It reaches him in prison. Now, do you remember John? Do you remember bold John, the preacher in the river, the baptizer? You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Or do you remember humble John? When the apostles of Jesus are baptizing and more are coming to Jesus than to him, I must decrease and he must increase. But now we find a very different John. A John in crisis. Sitting in prison and waiting to die. It was John's circumstances that led him to doubt. And the Messiah was here. And yet instead of some sweeping political and social reform, some sweeping change, elevating God's people to the top of society, John, the forerunner of Christ, is sitting in prison waiting to die. You can almost hear the words of Habakkuk bubbling out of John's heart. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? The wicked surround the righteous and justice is perverted. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the weak swallow, or when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? And so John calls to himself two of his disciples. And he sends them to Jesus with this question. Are you... The one who is to come. That's an Old Testament designation for Messiah. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? You know, Jesus, the Messiah is supposed to set up a kingdom here on earth. He's supposed to usher in a golden age for the Jewish people. Instead, you're out there making enemies of the religious leaders. Shouldn't you be spending more of your time dealing with the Romans? Jesus, you're not doing the things that I think Messiah should be doing. So are you Him or do we look for someone else? Someone might ask at this point, the Bible doesn't really reveal John's heart. So how can you suppose that these were the things that were going through his mind? And it's true. The Bible doesn't reveal John's heart. I don't know John's heart, but I do know my sinful heart. And I know the Bible's testimony concerning the heart of all men. So often, friends, we find ourselves in the throes of hard circumstances of this life and we begin to question God. And it's not only doubt, it's, it's disappointment. 
You see, we think things should go one way, and when they don't, we become disillusioned. But God, but God, I thought that you were going to send revival at the preaching of your word, and yet we've got, what, 25 people here in church? So you see, friends, I can identify with John. I know what it is to lean on my own understanding rather than to trust in God. Just to be reminded again and again of those words of the prophet Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The issue, friends, is trust in God versus trust in our own understanding. And when we place trust in our own understanding rather than God, what we do is we set the stage for shipwreck. And while doubt is normal in the Christian life, and I want to emphasize that it is normal in the Christian life, it's not a safe place to rest. Like the man who abandons his faith when he loses a child or his wife leaves him or his business fails. When we rest upon our hope in our own understanding rather than God, it reveals in our hearts the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry. Really, we've replaced hope in God with hope for the things hoped for. And so God will often use the circumstances of this life to reveal to us what our faith really lies in. Where our hope really rests. And sadly, what is often revealed is that our faith is not in God during the hard circumstances, but rather in our own understanding. For some, this testing will bring about shipwreck, proving that they were that there was never real trust in God. And that's what we find in the parable of the sower that we'll be studying in a few weeks in Luke chapter 8. The cares of the world choke out the weedy soil. But in believers, in genuine born-again believers, these times of testing are used by God to reveal the sin of our hearts and to build our faith in God. Used to reveal the sin of our hearts and to build our faith in God. And while we, like John, may struggle with doubt for a time, ultimately these circumstances will be the very means by which our faith in God is strengthened. It is in this way that the hard circumstances of life should be looked at as a gift from God. As a gift from God because they ultimately cause us to grow in trusting Him. Enabling us to, in greater measure, obey the command of Proverbs chapter 3. 
trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. John the Baptist, he was sent to be a witness concerning Messiah. He was sent to testify concerning Messiah. But his expectations, when they weren't met, that's when he begins to waver. And friends, I think that it is the kindness of the Lord to allow us to see this moment of weakness in the life of the greatest prophet who ever lived. It is the kindness of the Lord to allow us to look upon this moment. And I know for me, in looking upon this moment of weakness in the life of John the Baptist, I am strengthened. Why? Because I know that I'm not alone in my failure to trust God as I ought. With all my heart as the Scripture commands. And because Jesus, in the moment of weakness, does not cast John off. But rather, he sends the disciples of John back with words of encouragement. Hear the response of Jesus, verse 22. And he answered them. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And the first thing that I'd like you to notice is that Jesus doesn't answer John's question directly. He doesn't say, John, yes, I am the one to come. Rather, he sends John's disciples back to him to testify themselves of what they have seen and heard. He directs John's focus back to Scripture. Back to those prophecies concerning Messiah and specifically that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf deaf stopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Do you see the encouragement? What I want to direct your attention to, what I want to direct our focus to, is that Jesus is directing John's focus off of his circumstances and back on to God. It's as if he's saying, John, you know what the Scriptures say about me. Don't look at your circumstances. Look at God's Word. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust God. Are you experiencing a hard circumstance in life right now? Are you going through a a difficult time? Are you struggling to understand how God could be true in light of what you're going through. Lean 
not, dear friends, on your own understanding. Go to the Word. Go to God. There you will find strength to trust in Him. And when you go to God's Word, what will you find? As we read about Joseph this morning, you will find Joseph hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, wrongly accused and thrown into prison, all after having dreams in which God revealed to him that he would rule over his brothers and, yes, even his own father. Was God unfaithful? Did Joseph's circumstances violate the promises of God? No. Rather, in a way, Joseph would have never imagined God takes him from prison to ruling over Egypt. And when Joseph faces his brothers, his words to them reveal that he had learned to trust in God. What you have meant for evil, God has meant for good. Dear friends, lean not on your own understanding. Go to the Word. Go to God and be strengthened to trust in Him. The last thing I'd like us to look at this morning is that last clause. That last clause, Jesus says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Friends, what I'd like you to see here is that Jesus not only sends John encouragement, he also sends him a warning. As we find elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus is, one of the names of Jesus is that he is the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. And it was the wrong expectation of the Jews that made him the rock of offense. It was the wrong expectations of the Jews concerning Messiah that caused many of them to reject their Messiah when he came. Friends, it's so easy to misunderstand what Jesus came to do. It's so easy to take our focus off of the main thing. You remember earlier in Luke's Gospel when Jesus is, he's, he's just begun his ministry in Capernaum. He's staying at Peter's house. He heals Peter's mother. He heals a guy with a d- demon. They get, the word gets out that he's a healer, and so they just flood the place. And he's healing the sick. He's, he's casting out demons. He's, he's, he's spending an entire day just, just ministering in this way of healing. And then he goes off to pray. Mark's Gospel tells us that they found him at one point and Peter finds him and he basically says to him, you know, everyone's looking for you. And the idea being, what are you doing out here when there's a bunch of work to be done? Good work at that. Healing the sick. Casting out demons. Curing disease. And Jesus says... I think we need to go somewhere else so that I can preach the gospel in other places because that's the purpose for which I came. 
healing was good, but it wasn't the purpose for which He came. Preaching the Gospel was the purpose for which He came. The mission of Christ was the Gospel. See, but the Jews, they had thought that the primary mission of Christ would be to free them from Roman occupation, to be a political leader or maybe a military leader. But in their wildest imaginations, they never considered the Messiah would come as a suffering servant. Friends, it's so easy to project our expectations upon Jesus. And it's so dangerous to project our expectations upon Jesus. John was a bold preacher in the wilderness. But now he was a cowering doubter in prison. And Jesus lets him know, John, before you is the rock of offense. Before you is the stone of stumbling. Look to the Scriptures, for it is they that testify about me. And blessed are you if you're not offended by me. Friends, I want to apply this to us. Just as we can receive encouragement from this account to lean not on our own understanding, but to trust in God, so we must also heed its warning. Let us focus our eyes on Jesus. Let us focus our eyes upon the gospel of of our salvation. Because it's so easy to misunderstand what Jesus came to do. It's so easy to have wrong expectations because we're expecting something that God never promised. I mean, some of the ways that this is most clearly seen in the church today is by people getting into all types of different emphasis. You have the charismatic movement with its focus upon phenomenon and experience and, and, and emotion. You've got the seeker-sensitive movement with its focus on numbers and church growth at any cost. And then there's the end times newspaper theology where people are preoccupied with politics and the Middle East and the nation of Israel. There are so many things that seek to take our focus off of Messiah and His mission to seek and to save the lost. So many things that seek to take our focus off of the Gospel. And all of these things can inevitably lead to wrong expectations concerning God's will and God's purposes. And thus they can lead to stumbling over God's rock of offense. In May 2011, Harold Camping predicted the end of the world. And they estimated that over a million people had placed their faith in his prediction. Over a million people. And when his prediction failed to come to pass, the reports of the disillusioned followers were very commonly, I just can't believe in God anymore. Well, the problem was that they hadn't believed in God in the first place. They had placed their hope in their own expectations. And just like the Jews, when those expectations did not match what God actually did, their lack of trust in God was made manifest for everyone to see. 
friends, if the greatest prophet who ever lived could suffer doubt because of misunderstanding the mission of Messiah, how easy do you think it is for us if we're not focused on the gospel to get sidetracked? As Paul Washer often says, the Christian life is like walking on the edge of a razor blade. It's so easy to fall off to the left hand or to the right hand. The only way to stay on track is to keep your eyes firmly focused on the cross. Firmly focused on Jesus, on the gospel. So friends, if you're struggling, if you're going through the hard circumstances of life, a particular hard circumstances, and you can't even remember what it was like to have your eyes focused on the cross, my encouragement to you is the same as Jesus' encouragement to John. Take your eyes off of your circumstances. Go to Scripture and see God's faithfulness on display over and over again. See his mighty hand as he fulfills his promise to Abraham, giving him offspring through Sarah, though she was barren and old. See his mighty hand as he delivers the children of Israel from the Egyptians, though they had been enslaved for 400 years by spreading the waters apart and allowing them to escape on dry land. Or see how he stood with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace when they would not bow their knee to the king's idol. Oh, dear friends, seek God to show you these things in Scripture. To show you His faithfulness in the Scripture. His faithfulness on display and ask Him to take your eyes off of your circumstances and to place your eyes on Him. Ask Him to, lean, to, to, to help you not to lean on your own understanding, but rather to trust in Him with all your heart. Ask Him to help you heed Jesus' warning. To help you to not allow anything, any failed expectation to blur your vision of Jesus. Ask Him to help you surrender all your expectations to His Lordship. Agreeing with Scripture that His thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are His ways our ways. Now, you may say to me, Pastor, how can I do that when the very circumstance that I'm going through is that I don't know how God could save and love one as vile as me? I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. I just don't know that I could believe that He would save me. Dear one, the gospel is for sinners. Salvation is for sinners. The promise of God, the same God who showed Himself faithful in all of those stories that, we, that I just mentioned. He, His promise is this. Those who come to Me, I will in no wise cast out. And those who put their confidence in Me will not be disappointed. The command of God 
and the invitation to those who know that they deserve his wrath is repent. Repent. Turn from a life with sin as your master to a life with God as your master. And believe the gospel. The good news that Jesus paid with his own blood the price for the sins of all who will believe. And based upon his payment, the Father wipes out our debt and credits to us Jesus' perfect righteousness, treating us as if we had never sinned. That's the gospel. That's the invitation of the Bible. Repent and believe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the struggle of John in prison, for his time of doubt, that we can look upon it and be encouraged, that we can know that we're not alone when we doubt, that the greatest prophet who ever lived experienced doubt based upon the circumstances of this life. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with the encouragement that you gave to John. That we might go to your word. That we might learn of your faithfulness. That our faith might be built upon your faithfulness. That we might trust in you regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of the things that we see and, 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 and hear in this life. Regardless of the things that we face. That we might grow to trust in you. And I pray, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would not let our circumstances or expectations master us in such a way that we would stumble over the rock of offense, but that we would be those blessed ones that Jesus speaks about who are not offended by him. this to our memories throughout this week, I pray. Amen.